It's uh, a great pr privilege and an honor to introduce our speakers this morning. A uh, young couple that we've known for a long time. I've known Blake a lot longer than Sammy, but um, I will say this. I was thinking about this as we were preparing this morning, but this couple is uh, one of those missionary couples that for me, they're always bumping into the top of my prayer list for what they do and what God's called them to do. And so without uh, too much more blather from me, I'll just uh, bring up Blake and Sammy. I'm not sure who's going first. Sammy will go first. And Robbie, hey, bud, how you doing? How's that grandbaby? Let's get down to the real things. All right, here they are. Blake and Sammy, welcome them, Daddy. Awesome. Thank you guys for having us. Um, we'll get into it quickly so we don't keep you too long. I heard Mark likes to cut the services short, so we'll go extra long today. Um, I'll introduce my family and or half my family. My wife, Sammy, our oldest daughter, Victoria. She is 11. She's turning 12 in a couple months. Olivia, who just turned nine. And then Joanna is six and Selah, and they're back in the, the kid area and Selah just turned two. So um, I'm going to let my wife share our testimony. We believe that our testimony is what God's given us to share. And so everywhere we go, we try to share our testimony because um, God, through our testimony, wants to repeat what he's already done in our life. And so everywhere we go, we find that God touches people through our testimony. And then after that, I want to give an update of where we've been and what's going on in the areas that we've been and then show a couple of videos. And then we'll get on with our day. So this is my wife. Hi, thank you guys for having us. Um, we're really excited to be here. We love Josh and Shauna Allwine and their family. We get to spend a lot of time with them while we're here staying at their place. And they're just an amazing, amazing family, such hospitality. So I really just wanted to lift them up because we're really just, we just feel so blessed to, to know them and have them a part of our lives. Um, yeah, so... We are a part of the Free Burma Rangers. How many of you here have heard of the Free Burma Rangers or have heard our testimony? Wow. Okay, great. Most of you. Good. So I don't have to get into too much of it, but um, Free Burma Rangers is an organization that we volunteer with full-time, and we go overseas into Burma, Thailand, Syria, Iraq, and Tajikistan, and our main mission is to go to the front lines to help with IDP camps and just bring help, hope, and love in any way we can through our family, through the ministry of our family. And so I'm going to have Michaela play um, kind of this quick update video of what it looks like for our family to go to these places so you can see that. And in the first clip here, you'll see us hiding in trenches. We're in Burma, and we're hiding in trenches because there are planes flying over and dropping bombs and mortars. Um, so, <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> Sounds like there's some play over. Just real quick while she's having <coughs> some technical difficulties. Yeah. 
Okay, okay. <laughs> okay, well, all right, I'll just pray. Holy Spirit, we just pray that you would come and make the stuff work that needs to work. Give Michaela just peace back there and get the right buttons going and just bless us as we speak up here today that your Holy Spirit would just come and minister to our hearts. We thank you, Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name. Um, yeah, so this is partly what it looks like for our family to go over there. And a lot of people ask, wow, like, how do you do that with your family? What does that look like? Um, you must be terrified. And yes, yeah, it is really scary. We go into places like Burma or Syria where there's active shooting, there's active bombs. And um, it's not a place that, you know, I think you could just run into willy-nilly. I think that God has to call you into that. And we really feel that... Um, God has called our family into this, and it's something where in those moments, we all wrestle with fear and doubt and unbelief and this idea of, oh my gosh, did God really call me here? Like, I have my kids here. This is crazy. What am I doing? And you just start to question the Lord, and then it really takes um, going back to that place of just being face-to-face with the Lord, and really in that quiet place where he's built up your faith, where you know him, where there's intimacy to go. Other families there, and they don't have a choice. And I'm called to, um, yeah, minister to them and bring them into these places because we believe the ministry is together with our family. But um, also what that looks like is, um, is it ready? Okay. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll let this go, and then I'll finish talking. Thanks, Michaela. Sorry about that. Yeah, so that just gives you an idea of what it looks like as we go into these places with our family. And what I love about seeing that is, again, just the reminder of when we're in the places, like in the trenches, um, we're called to get outside of our comfort zone. Our faith is called into action. And so when we're afraid and we're wrestling with the Lord, our why is, well, we've been called. And 
that God, he equips the called. He doesn't call the equipped. So when people would ask, well, what are you going to do? I could easily feel very unqualified as where I feel Blake is very qualified and comfortable to be in those places. But really, when we look back um, over our testimony through the years, even before we were married, you can see God's hand working in our lives, as I feel most of you would probably feel. You can see God's hand orchestrating um, everything. From the time you were born, he's got plans. And so he's just been orchestrating um, everything from that point forward to, to this to prepare us for what he had planned for us to do, for the work set out before us to go and accomplish. And part of that for us is we, uh, we both came from Christian families. A lot of you know Blake and his family, the Donnellys, and he grew up in this area. And so coming from Christian homes, um, <laughs> we didn't always make the best choices as young people do. And we ended up getting pregnant in high school. And even then, we had to uh, decide if we were going to choose faith or fear. And through those years, I feel like when we chose faith, we were taking a risk. We were taking a risk even to get married and decide, this is what, you know, this is what we're going to put before the Lord to touch and to redeem and to heal and to forgive. And so we got pregnant and we got married right out of high school. In the first eight years, I found myself in that place, face-to-face with God, going into that secret place, and that was my anchor. Like, I couldn't, I couldn't have done life without the intimacy of, and the Father and knowing him. And um, Blake, he felt a lot of hurt and rejection and didn't have that same kind of relationship. He didn't know what it looked like to have that intimacy with the Lord. So he ran into the world to fill him up with drugs, alcohol, infidelity, anything he could find to fill this void that he decided he was going to do it on his own. He didn't need God. He just, he, he was going to be the master of his d- destiny. Well, um, that kind of looked like it was working. He became a Navy SEAL. He became this like very high qualified sniper and medic. And by the world's standards, it looked like he had it all. But if you looked closer, our family was in shambles. We were broken. There were a lot of times of separation. Um, There were a lot of times of just our kids didn't really even know who he was. He was gone all the time and just allowing just the things of the world to creep in. And it was because of God's faithfulness and his goodness in our lives that I felt he told me to stay, to stay with Blake through those really hard times, through those places where I knew and I could experience what it felt like to be in the trenches and know that God is with me and that he's faithful. And all the way to the point where Blake, um, he ended up getting kicked out of the Navy and sent to rehab for drugs and alcohol. And it was at that point that he was completely broken. He was telling me he wanted a divorce and he was at the end of himself. And at that point, Um, his best friend was also getting kicked out and he committed suicide and Blake was the one who found him and he snapped and there was just there was no God in his mind that would allow this to happen and so when he went into rehab uh, God used his psychologist to speak to him and she challenged him on his faith and said you know it says you were a Christian when you came into the Navy and really challenged him to seek that out and even though Blake was full of anger and bitterness and just denied that God existed, he couldn't get that out of his head. Um, he grew up in Awana. You know, he had the word, uh, the seeds of the word planted in his heart. 
And so just him and God alone in the room that night, he cried out to the Lord, and he said, God, where have you been my whole life? And God said, I've been here the whole time. Where have you been? And he said in that moment he knew God was real and that he could trust God. And if that's what God could do with five seconds, what could he do with his life? And I just think it's so amazing to see the fruit of that now in our lives and to see that God can take the absolute most broken, darkest hopelessness and use it for his kingdom, that nothing is lost in the kingdom of God. Everything is made new and redeemed. And so through that, we were able to surrender to the Lord together as a couple. And the Holy Spirit came in, and we would just pray and abide for hours on our living room floor and allow God to heal every part of our marriage, of our family, and really bring a resurrection and a new life to our family. So through all that, um, God just redeemed and healed every part, and eventually he brought us into this, which is the something that I feel like... Um, he had already set up way before we ever knew. And so this is just the fulfillment and resurrection of also God's promises in Blake's life, that he's now using all those skills and things that he learned while he was not following God. Now he's using them to serve the Lord and to do it out of a place of love and compassion and as a family unit, which we just really, really um, are passionate about. So, yeah, praise God. And I'm just going to have Blake come up now, and he's going to share kind of an update of what that looks like. Thank you. Yeah, can we just give Sammy a hand? Honor her. It really, it's God. <laughs> God did all that. Um, so, yeah, we've been with the Free Burma Rangers for about three years now. It's a humanitarian nonprofit organization that goes to conflict zones, and we try to go where we see the least amount of help. And so, most of the time when we're in these places, these conflict zones, we look left and right, and it's just the ethnic minorities that are being persecuted. We see very few other Westerners. And for me, it's comforting knowing, okay, this is right where God has us because um, this is a need. We want to be useful, and we want to fill this need. And so, um, yeah, I want to just kind of give an update. We were here last year, and we had come out of Burma, and we had been in Iraq and Syria, and then in the middle of the summer, we were, fit, we were kind of on our road trip across the states, and then um, the U.S. pulled out of Afghanistan, and that whole thing kind of, un we watched it unfold, and we watched all of these um, refugees and IDPs all of a sudden um, being forced back into what we had been trying to defeat for the last 20 years. And so we, we felt and prayed, God, do we need to respond to this? How do we help these people? We can't just sit here and watch. And so we are... Um, furlough got cut short, and we ended up going over to Tajikistan to try to get into Afghanistan. And we were blocked in every single time we tried to get into Afghanistan. The furthest we got was right on the border to work with the IDPs that were flooding across the border into Tajikistan. And we spent about eight weeks there doing food distributions and um, distributing food and clothes and water and working with those IDPs before we went back to Southeast Asia. Um, and then in my update last year, I had kind of explained what was going on inside Burma. So Burma is a pretty big country. It borders Thailand. There's been a civil war there since World War II, 75 years of civil war, of unrest. And the war is against the, the Burmese government, the junta, which is an illegal governmental regime, fighting the ethnic minorities who refuse to give up their territory, refuse to give them full power of the country because they're a dictatorship who 
largely just murders their own people and, and has been doing that for 75 years. And so eight years ago, there was a ceasefire. I explained some of this last year, so if this is repetitive for some of you, I'm sorry. Um, but I want to give a brief history and a background of like what's leading into of where we're at now as a country um, in Burma. And so there was an eight-year civil war. And then February 1st, 2021, there was a military coup where that ceasefire was over. The government said, we no longer are going to try to work on these ceasefires. We're no longer going to let you try to have your democracy. We're going to fight you until you surrender to us. Um, and, and so the government arrested and detained all, the, all of the leadership who was like inter intermental leadership who were trying to set up a democracy for Burma for the ethnic minorities who were trying to be a voice. They captured and killed most of them, and it's been all-out war ever since that time. So for the last year and a half, inside Burma has been absolute chaos. It's been worse fighting. <laughs> it's been the worst fighting since World War II, and people are being just wrecked, targeted, murdered. Their houses and homes are being burned and they're being pushed out of their areas. And so we kind of took a step back from what was happening in the Middle East and in these places that are still, they're still conflict zones, but for right now they're kind of just in a lull and focused really on Burma and what was going on there um, because that's where the, the worst situation was. And so we started last year with this coup, with the military coup that happened. Um, there's a lot of good that came from it. And for us, m a highlight for me over the last several years of just seeing, living in these conflict zones with my family is really seeing God's hand in all of this. And one of the verses that we put in the bulletin was to not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And I think that's really the, the model that we want to live by. And that's the answer to all of these conflicts is that we cannot be overcome by evil. We have to be overcome or we have to overcome evil with good. And what does that look like? Um, and I think our, our prime example is to love. And we say that, we throw that around. You know, we were having a conversation um, with Josh about this word empathy and how it's mi very misused. And even I was like, I didn't know what the meaning was. And, and the meaning is to really feel what someone else is feeling. But then if you really look into the word, it's, it doesn't call you into action. It means that you kind of just stay in that place of feeling someone's hurt and feeling someone's sorrow, but really doing nothing about it. And I think we have, in Christianity, we have this real pandemic of people going to church and reading the Bible and feeling this empathetic feeling, but then doing nothing about it, not being, not being called into action. And if we look at love, love is an action word. It's perfectly described for us. It's written, literally written out for us in Corinthians 13 of, what the aspects of love are, and all of those things are action words, and they're all disciplines, and they require something of us to give. And we live in kind of a, a generation, and I've, I've watched, I'm part of the generation where we have this idea of love being this like unicorns and rainbows and this feeling of whatever Hollywood wants to make it, and that's not the reality. Sometimes we forget that love looks like father sending his only son to look unrecognizable on a cross. That's what love looks like. And so for us, we really feel called into this mission field. It, it's, it's a sacrifice, but I feel like um, every single one of you is being called into a mission field, and we're called to nations. And for some of you, that looks like a workplace. Your nation is a workplace, or your nation is a family member, or 
um, your nation is an, an actual other nation, but regardless of where it is, you're being called into to a sacrificial, uh, selfless love, and it's going to require something of you. And so when we go places and speak, we often hear, oh, I could never do that, or how do you do this? And it's like, it, it, it frustrates me because the only thing that, like Sammy said, the only thing that qualifies us is God. Being a SEAL didn't quali- qualify me to go over to conflict zones. In fact, it actually only made me aware of how wrong they're fighting their wars because we have no assets, we have no counterattack. We're sitting there getting hammered by airplanes, hammered by mortars, hammered by a, a conventional army, and we have—I have no skill set to back that up. I realized very quickly that as a SEAL, I had my skill set relied on a whole lot of other people and a lot of other assets. And when you don't have those things, all of a sudden you realize, okay, my asset is God. And all of you are being called into an area of, um, of conflict, and it looks different for everybody, but you're qualified for that place. And you look at an area of your, of your life that you're in, and you're going, oh, why am I here? Well, you're there because God trusts you with that situation. And he's looking at you, and he's not going, you're unqualified to do this. We're the only ones that do that. We quickly disqualify ourselves from things that God has already said, you're there, and you're qualified to be there and to, to be in that situation and around those people. And I've given you the tools your whole life. I've trained you for this, this moment, for such a time as this. And so the, the, the reality of what we do is like sometimes it seems a little bit extreme to some people. But for us, it's like this is where God's called us to be. It's where, he, where he's qualified us to be, including my youngest, my two-year-old daughter. She's qualified to be there because she's got the father in heaven who looks after her and and I can't protect my kids better than he can and that and that's a that's something that I have to remind myself all the time on a daily basis is go God they're your children they're not mine and give me wisdom to to lead them in this world that that I've brought them into but the reality is that he is their protector not me and so I kind of went off on a little rant there. I, I lost my train of thought. I do that often. I told Mark before the service, I was like, yeah, sometimes I, you know, write out what I'm going to do. And I just stopped doing that because I'll go 20 minutes and then realize, oh, man, I got these notes that I have to get to. Um, so I have a rough idea of what I want to talk about. Um, but often I, I get distracted from that. And I believe that that's the father. If, if I'm, you know, I'm not a, a conventional pastor. I didn't go to school to be a pastor to teach um and i and i thought wow i'm not qualified you know i've had that same thought about myself i'm not qualified to get up and to teach or to preach to god's people when in reality the only thing that qualifies me is the time that i spend with him in the morning his word that i read that becomes part of who i am and that's all of your reality you guys are all called to speak to god's people and and the thing that qualifies you is him and spending time in his word and getting to know him. And then you would realize very quickly that, oh, I'm just disqualifying myself when God's already qualified me to do this. So anyway, I want to share a couple stories after that tangent. <laughs> it just went on. Um, but talking about, that's what I was talking about, love. is like we have this idea of love. We've been you know, sold this lie of what love looks like from the world. But when we look at God's standard of love, it's completely sacrificial. It's giving. It requires so much discipline, so much discipline. And that type of love is what compels us to go into these places 
and to operate. And so the video that I wanted to play is called Compelled by Love. And it's, uh, it's several years old. It actually was filmed during one of the ceasefires. And so some of the clips in there are, are older clips. But just know that a year and a half ago, the whole country erupted back into full-on war with the same jets that are bombing in this video that are bombing now. And it kind of explains what we do as an, as an organization, where we want to go in and train up the ethnic minorities to be able to go and give help, hope, and love to the front lines, to these conflict zones that we work in. And so we'll play this, I'll play this video and then talk a little bit more about it. So that kind of gives an um, uh, idea of what we do in the jungle. We have a training camp where we train up um, ethnic minorities to go into their areas and to give medicine, to provide um, food and water and shelter needs for the IDPs. IDP is internally displaced person. It's a person who's been pushed out of their home by the, by the Burma army in, in Burma, by the Burma army and... Um, and they're living in the jungle, they're living under tents, or they, they put up makeshift shelters, and they're not in their home, um, but they haven't left the country yet. So a refugee, once they leave the country, then they would be a refugee. But inside Burma, there's 1.2 million right now IDPs, um, and that number's increasing pretty much every day as, they, as the war rages on. And so our main purpose in these training camps was to encourage them that they... Uh, can go to these areas and go to these places of need and provide help for their people. And it was really an effort. 25 years ago when Dave started the organization, it was just an effort to help as many people as they could and to really bring unity among ethnic minorities so that they could stand against this um, illegal governmental regime. And I started out kind of talking about the, the Burma government and what they're doing and they're oppressing their people, the ethnic minorities. And the only reason that they've really not been able been able to take complete power is because of these ethnic militias and the ethnic minority um, uh, fighters who have stood up and said, we're not going to let you take power. And they're, it's all guerrilla warfare. So they will attack a Burma army column and then they'll run back into the jungle. It's very ineffective um, in a sense that you can't really win a war that way because they're fighting a conventional army that has airplanes, they have heavy artillery, they have armored vehicles, tanks, and 300,000 fighting men, uh, fighting, you know, maybe a thousand. And so it, it seems like the odds are never going to, like they're never going to win, just as the ethnic minorities. But what happened in 2021 when the coup took place is you had all of these Burmans who are not the, a part of the ethnic minority, they're, they live in the cities, and they're these people that saw what their government did, and they said, wait a second, we, we disagree with what you're doing, what you're doing is wrong, and now they've been joining the ethnic resistance, and so for the first time in Burman history, we have Burmans from the plains of Burma joining the ethnic uh, minorities and joining them in their fight against the government, and so it, it doesn't give them any more um, power as far as weapons, but it gives the Burma army is very, very afraid now that they're in really their entire country is standing up against what they're doing. And so last year we had the very first Burmans show up to our training camp and they just said, we don't know what to do. We've been lied to our whole lives. We thought that our government was this, you know, this good, this good thing and that you guys were terrorists. 
and we realize now that it's the opposite way. So what do we do? How do we, how do we fix this? And so 25 years of this ministry of Dave and his family laboring and training these ethnic minorities, and this last year was the first year where we had really the, the, the Burmans who, were, who we needed is the last group, ethnic group of people to join and, and realize what's going on and what's wrong. And so we got to be a part of that training. And since then, we've trained over 5,000 Burman ethnics to go and in, back into their ethnic regions. And we've seen a unity that has not been inside Burma in 75 years. We've seen a unity amongst the people. And we've seen more baptisms and more salvations in our trainings than they've ever seen in 25 years of trainings. And so we really are filled with hope, and we believe that the, the country is on a, um, like this is a, we get to be a part of what happened in this country years and years ago we, where people are like, this is a, a moment in time where you're going to look back and go, I'm a part of history. That's happening right now inside Burma, and it's very, very, bloody, it's very, very ugly, um, but we get to be a part of it, and we're so thankful. And so that's what our ministry does, is we go in and we run these training camps, and we also have a, what's called the Jungle School of Medicine, which is a clinic. It's a fully functioning uh, clinic with an OR and a labor and delivery, and it's inside the jungle. You can't drive there. You have to walk there. It services seven different villages, and we have a school there where we train uh, ethnic students, they come for a year and they learn medicine for a year and then they go back to their villages and they become the practitioner in their village to provide somewhat modern medicine with what little they have. And so my wife taught math and English this year to those new medical students and I taught medicine to them. And we, after every training, we like to go out with them to the field so we don't just send them and say, okay, have fun learning everything you've learned. We'll see you later. We go with them, and it's a, a very heavy on discipleship. Um, it's just unconventional dis discipleship because we're doing life in a conflict zone with all of these young men and women. And so this last year, I wanted to share a testimony. So, t so two years ago, after one of our trainings, we went out on a walking mission where you walk for a couple of weeks and you go to different villages because, like I said, there's no roads. Everywhere you go, you have to walk there. And so we went out on this mission, and we happened to be in a village where the Burma army sits kind of on top of this little, they have a little camp, and it overlooks this village. And as soon as we came into the village, this little old lady runs up to us, and she was crying and saying how she wasn't able to plant her rice that year because the Burma army, every time she goes out to plant her rice, they just open fire with machine guns, and so she can't plant her rice. And we knew this happens all over Burma. It's very common. Um, and it's one of the tactics that the Burma army uses to, to induce fear and to keep them from being able to provide revenue or um, food for their families because that's their main source of income is farming. And so Dave was pretty upset. He's like, well, this just isn't right. We have to do something about this, but I don't know what to do. And we prayed and felt, well, the right thing to do is just go out and plant rice. And she's like, no, you can't do that. You don't understand. Every time you go out and plant rice, they fire at it. They shoot at us. And we said, well, we're going to plant rice anyway. We're just going to go out there and plant as much as we can, and we'll run away as soon as they start shooting at us. And so Dave's like, I don't even know how to plant rice. Who here knows how to plant rice? And so one of the young uh, medics, he's been with FBR for like, I don't know, six or seven years, this amazing medic, Joseph, he's a farmer. He's like, I know how to plant rice. 
know, I know Thra. Thra is like teacher, so they call, call the Westerners Thra. He goes, I will go and plant the rice. And so he goes out there with this little handful of rice, and he's crawling out, and he gets to the point where he's on the field, and he starts planting the rice. And sure enough, the Burma army just opens up. And so everybody turns and low crawls and runs out of there and gets out of there, and nobody got shot. But we came back to the lady, and we said, we're so sorry. We were able to plant four or five stalks of rice. We weren't able to plant nearly as much as we wanted to. We're sorry. We're praying with you. And we just pray that the Lord would multiply this rice and that this entire field would just be filled with rice. And so we prayed that, and the very next day, she comes running up to us with a big smile on her face, and she goes, I was so encouraged by that act of courage, by you crawling out there, not caring about your own life, but wanting to help me plant this field, that I went out last night under the cover of dark, and I planted the entire field with my friend. And we're like, what? That's crazy. <laughs> You're crazy. You're, we're not crazy. You're crazy. And we were just, we were, we were filled with joy of like, wow, we, we didn't know what that would look like, what would happen, what would be the outcome of that. And um, she was just so excited about it. And so a year goes by, and then this last December we do another training, and we go out on the same walking mi mission to visit all our friends and all the villages. And we get to that village with all these students who are new um, rangers. They've just been through training. And this lady comes running up with a huge bag of rice, big smile on her face. And she goes, this is the rice that God multiplied. And we were just like, wow, how amazing is it that we get to be a part of this testimony where we completely, by the world standards, it was foolish. And you should have maybe listen to that fear. You're going to get shot and then be useless. And so the, the story actually gets better. She brings us this rice. She brings us some bread that she had made with the rice, and we're taking pictures and interviewing her about her story and what it was like to live under the Burma Army that year. And then the, one of the generals for the, the resistance, the, the Karen Army, who's fighting the Burma Army, he comes up to us and he says, hey, we just had three men, three young men, turn themselves in from the Burma Army um, and they said they want to join our resistance. They no longer want to fight with the Burma army. Would you like to meet them? And so we're like, yeah, of course we'd love to meet them, and we want to pray with them, and we get there. And for some reason, we felt led to tell them that story, and two of the guys immediately started crying, and they told us we were the guys behind the machine gun shooting at you every time you came out to plant your rice, and that was our orders. That was just what we were told to do. And so we got to stand there, with that lady and with the villagers and tell them, we forgive you, we love you, this is what Jesus calls us to. We're here um, because of love, not because of evil or to fight back with evil, um, but we love you and we forgive you, and um, we just got to share really what it looks like to forgive. And I share that story because everywhere we go, before we do anything, we pray. And a lot of times we just, I, I find myself just praying prayer to, to, to pray sometimes out of habit, really forgetting that the words are powerful and prayer is powerful. But something that we always pray every single time is we pray that the hearts of the Burma army would, would change, that, we wouldn't have, that they wouldn't have to die to change their heart, even though I do believe sometimes the most loving thing you can do is stop the human heart, and we can talk about that offline. But um, that's our prayer, is that we wouldn't have to fight and that the Lord would change their hearts and that they would change their minds and we always pray for our enemies. And it was such a reward to see the fruit of that in these 
people who are our physical enemies. They shot at us. They've killed many of our friends. And they're there going, we had no idea. I'm so sorry. And because of forgiveness that Jesus gave us, we're able to forgive them and let them know that Jesus loves them and that he cares for them. And, and so it's just this full circle um, testimony that I'm, I'm just so thankful that we get to be a part of. And so after that walking mission, we went into Kareni State, which is where uh, it's a big city, city called Loika. It's, there's a major international airport there. The Burma Army controls that city. And then outside of that city, um, less than half a mile outside of that city are all of the ethnic people. And that city erupted during the coup. And so we went there on the walking mission. And as soon as we got there, we realized this is all-out war. It was unlike anything I had ever personally experienced. It was unlike anything Dave had ever experienced in 25 years of being in the middle of conflict zones. We were getting bombed every single day by airplanes, helicopter attack runs, mortars, hundreds of, of 120-millimeter mortars landing on us every single day while we're trying to help villagers escape and provide medicine into these frontline areas. And I just thought, what, where, where is God in all of this? You have these thoughts of, God, where are you? Why is this going on? How is this fair to anybody? Why am I here? And I quickly realized that I, I grew up reading you know, the Bible and the Old Testament, and you read about the Israelites, and you go, what a bunch of fools. They so quickly would erect a golden calf and turn away from God and, and walk away from their faith in God of what God has called them to be a chosen people. And here I am in the middle of a conflict zone and having those same thoughts, the same thoughts of, God, what is going on? Are you, even, are you even here? How are you in this? And time and time again, he would show up and just give me hope or give my wife hope. And, and what I realized about love is in, that, in another verse, it says, perfect love casts out all fear. Now, fear, I don't think, ever goes away. Fear is always going to be there trying to lie to you, trying to get you to make decisions based off of fear. But when you're walking in perfect love, that fear goes away. It it doesn't become your your decision-making influence. You're not making decisions based off of that fear. And so this one particular moment, we had gone out with the resistance, and they were going to... um, try and take back this Burma army camp that had taken over their home and their villages. And we said, we're going to go with you, but we have, like, we're just people. We're going with you in, as medical support. We're not soldiers. We're missionaries. We're going with you as missionaries, you know, just not to give them a false sense of hope because they know who we are. They know our background. But like I said, being a SEAL means nothing when I'm over there without the U.S. Army. It means nothing. It gives me an idea of how wrong everything is and going, this is how people die. And so I know that. I'm going, wow, this is, this is how people die. <laughs> That's the only thing my training did for me in this moment was let me know that. And so we went out with this group of, of fighters, this, group, this resistance group, and immediately one of the young men stepped on a landmine because the Burma army will come into the, to a village. They'll burn everything, and then they'll plant landmines, and then go away. And their hope is that the villagers come back and step on landmines, and they're just trying to, to maim and kill these villagers. And so a young man stepped on a landmine. It was about 12 o'clock at night. And I just remember 
going out and approaching the Burma army, I felt fear. I felt, we're going to die tonight. It's the first time in my life I felt, this is all wrong. What am I doing? I don't need to be here. God, what, what am I doing here? And when that young man stepped on the landmine, and he's down, and he's bleeding out, and I just immediately, that fear went away because I loved that person. And it wasn't until afterwards that I could unpack this and go, why was my fear immediately gone when I had something to do when I was loving that person? And two days later, I got to meet with that young man. He had a successful amputation of his leg, 16 years old. And he sits up in the hospital, and his eyes just get big when he saw me walk in. And he said, that night, I thought that I was going to die until I saw you come walking out of the dark. And then he said, everything was light, and I knew I was going to live. And I shared with him, that was just, that's Jesus. That's what you saw was Jesus. And he, he felt the love that I was just being a transmitter for Jesus. It wasn't anything that I'm doing in my flesh. Because in reality, I was, right before that moment, I was filled with fear. And it wasn't until I stepped out of that fear and had love for that man that that went away and he sits up and he tells me this story and I get to pray with him and tell him that Jesus loves him and I was just thankful I was like man how quickly can I become like the Israelite and doubt God in those moments and go God are you here do you even exist the reality is God is everywhere all at the same time and you can't go anywhere where he's not and so even when we don't feel it in those moments when we listen to fear, that's when we start to bow to that God of fears, when we make decisions based off of that, when God says, love casts out all fear, and he calls us into a deeper uh, revelation of his love so that we can be useful in those moments because when we're in fear, we're absolutely useless. Fear wants to get us to a place of, oh, I'm comfortable, I'm right here, and I don't have to do anything. It's kind of like that word empathy. Fear wants to get us to that place where we're like, okay, I, I don't need to do anything. I'm comfortable right here. When love requires us to, 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 to cause us into action, it calls us to do something about that fear. And when we're doing something, all of a sudden that fear goes away. And so I just wanted to encourage all of you that when you feel fear, we feel fear too. I feel fear um, many times, but I try not to make it Lord. I try not to elevate it to where I'm now making decisions based off of that fear. I'll ask God, okay, what's the right thing to do? And a hundred times out of a hundred times, it's the most uncomfortable thing. Okay, I'm going to run towards this area where they're getting shelled the hardest, not run away. And sometimes I, God does call us to run away with the people and to go away with the people. It's all just calling us into a deeper uh, relationship with him. And so... Um, yeah, that mission in Kareni this last December and January and February, uh, there's other wars happening in other places in the world. And do I need to hold my mic up? Um, and no war is comparable. No war is worse than another war. All war is evil. It's all um, born from evil. It's, it's not good. But what I realized in Kareni State in Burma, where that, the fighting is still, still the heaviest, and I'm losing my friends left and right, I'm losing people that I am friends with, I realized uh, 
these people have no voice. None of this is on the news. None of this is on um, mainstream media. Nobody knows what's happening. And when we go over to Burma, we're a voice for the Christian church. We're ambassadors for Jesus. We're there to, rese- re- re- um, to represent Jesus and to represent the Christian church and let them know, hey, there's a whole group of people that love you and care for you and are praying for you and are um, sending us to be here with you physically. And when we come back to the States, I was thinking, okay, we, we have to go back to America while all my friends are still fighting and this is all going on, like, why, God, why am I doing this? And he said, you're going back to represent the people. You're going back to be a voice for these Burmans who nobody knows about. Nobody, it's not that people don't care. It's just that there's an unawareness. And so our main mission here in the States is to really fill everybody in on what's going on. And there's two more videos that I want to I play. One of them, so this next one, I, yeah, so Reflections on the Resurrection. This is February. This is February this year. Um, we helped 200,000 people flee from their homes as the Burma army was approaching very quickly, burning their homes, uh, raping and killing their, their men, women and children. And all of these things are happening as we're helping people escape and helping people flee. And friends of mine, rangers who I'd known for years, uh, were dying. And there's no news story, no anything being sent out about them. We always try to get the news out through our own um, social media outlets or um, through our different resources that we have, but it doesn't always mean that it gets picked up by mainstream or that it gets sent out. Um, and so the views and the people that see it, the, the reach is very minimal. And I was with a friend, and he was looking up some highlights, some like football highlights. And I'm nothing against football, but these specific highlights on YouTube had like five uh, like f- or 57 million views. And I just thought, what would it take to get 57 million people to care about what's happening inside Burma? And really, I don't know the answer to that. I don't know what it would look like or what it would take. But this video is reflections on two personal friends that we lost, two rangers, and they died helping people flee, helping people evacuate. And airstrikes came in and... Um, Elizabeth, who's in the beginning of this, she was like a daughter. She was like an older daughter. Um, She's 18 years old. She would make breakfast, lunch, and dinner for our whole team every single day while we were there. And she would just, when there was a good life club, she would just surround the children and just show them love. She loved the Lord so much. And when she died, it was like, wow, what is, why, why, why her, right? And we don't, get to, we don't get to answer those questions. We just know that there's fruit from her life, that God called her into those things, and there's fruit to come from that. And so my, our prayer and our hope is that through her death, there is resurrection and there is life. And we get to join with Jesus in those things. And then our other friend, Rito, who passed away from an airstrike as he was um, helping an older man get out of his house who had um, just had a seizure. And so the Burma army was coming, and they were burning houses, and this man was paralyzed in his house, 
and we were trying to evacuate him, and an airstrike came and killed Rito. And so these, this video has war footage in it, and so if you're sensitive to some of that, then don't watch it, but it's real, and it's happening, and through death, there is resurrection. And so, again, I want to just encourage you in these video that are not, um, we are not celebrating the loss of life. We're celebrating the life that comes after death through Jesus and his resurrection. So you can play this, and I'll wrap up um, after a couple videos. Okay, so um, the reality, what happens over there, there's uh, loss of life, but those rangers and those um, young men and women are fighting for what they believe is the turn, a revolution of their country, for freedom and for people to stop suffering as they've been a part of the suffering and the oppression, and they're done um, just being there and being oppressed. They want to do something about it. And so the last video that I want to share is called Joy in Kareni. And this is the funnest part about what we do because what we, when we go into these areas where there's a huge influx of IDPs, in Kareni State there's uh, over 200,000 IDPs just in February um, when that video was filmed. And so we go to these camps that will have up to 10,000 people living in, under tarps and living under horrible circumstances. And we go in and we put up a pop-up medical clinic and we try to treat everybody that we can um, in a day. And then we dance and sing and do a gospel presentation and do skits. And we just interact with the kids and um, show them that they're not forgotten, that they're loved, and that um, we care about them. And for me, it's the most rewarding. It's the funnest part about what we do because we get to go in in the middle of a conflict zone and bombs and airplanes can be doing whatever they're doing and we don't let it disrupt what's happening right there, which is supernatural joy of the Lord um, erupting out of those places. And so we just see it time and time again, every good life club that we do, that's what we call those, those days. Um, and we're just doing them back to back to back to back. Uh, we do ev one new camp every single day and go in and do the same skits and the same songs and the same gospel presentation. And after about the 10th one, I was like, huh, this is kind of like it's... You know, I was David, and or we did David and Goliath, and I had Pete Eubank, his, uh, Dave's youngest son. I'd have him on my shoulders, and we put a rice sack over our head. And so we were Goliath, and it was like over and over doing the same skit of like, okay, I'm kind of tired of being David and Goliath. And as I was kind of just sitting in my own, I guess, self-pity of like, oh, we got to do another Good Life Club. And here we are, and, and there was some really heavy fighting one day. And we, I walked around this alley. We were trying to get to a, a, another young man who had stepped on a, a landmine, and the Burma Army was keeping us from getting there with heavy machine guns. And so we were trying to go in around from the back, and we had just done a Good Life Club. And I was, you know, at the Good Life Club, I was like, okay, I'm here. I have Pete on my shoulders again. I'm tired of this. Like, when is this going to be over? And then a couple hours later, we're walking into the city under, under gunfire. And we came around this corner and the Burma army just opened up and pinned us down in these positions that I had no cover. I was behind like this bush that obviously doesn't stop bullets and I was just sitting there and my ethnic buddy there who's like has a, cam a camera, that's all he had is a camera just filming and his eyes are super big and he looks at me and I look at him and he goes, I wish I was the lion right now 
because he would play the lion in the Good Life Club where he would come out and David would kill him. And I said, yeah, I wish I was Goliath. That's way better than this. And so I just was reminded, like, like no matter what the situation is, um, we, can, we can become Israelites and become groaning and grumbling and quickly turn on what God has called us into. He's called us to be in that place. He's equipped us to be in that place. And he's chosen us to be there because he says, you're qualified. And so um, we'll share this last video. And this is kind of just a highlight of the Good Life Clubs that happened during uh, January, February missions. And these, this group of kids, um, they, they heard that we were coming. And so they wanted to learn some English um, hymns. I'm not sure this first song is a hymn, <laughs> but, but the, the last one is. And so they wanted to learn them in English to honor us and to just sing to us. So they don't speak English. They just learned these songs to um, sing at this church service and at these uh, Good Life Clubs. And these children, after we, f we were there, and actually while we were still there, they, they continued to get pushed out of their camps. So they were in their homes. They got pushed out of their homes, and now they're getting pushed out of their camps. So they're having to flee. Some of them have had to f flee from their internally displaced people's camps up to five times. And so these children and the church that's in the end of this video has been completely destroyed and wrecked, and they've since fled again. Um, and so I just wanted to share this video because you can see the supernatural joy of the Lord on their faces. And, yeah, so you can play this video, and then I'll close. So that's... Uh, snapshot into the last year of our ministry and we couldn't be doing any of that with all of you guys here praying and supporting us financially and so from our family to yours thank you for your prayers and for your support and we really love the people of the areas that we go to this is our website I guess they just threw that up there um, Sammy makes a newsletter every month that she sends out, and it's a really good way to kind of keep up with what's going on in our family and what's going on in Burma or Tajikistan or, or the Middle East. Um, so you can go onto our website and sign up for our newsletter, and then you can stay up to date with us that way, or you can give financially there as well. Um, but our, like I said earlier, our main mission here is to really share of what's going on inside Burma. It's not close to the end, but we believe that there's hope. That's why we're there, and we've seen more progress as a nation, more unification um, as a nation inside Burma. And so we're filled with hope that this is really um, a change in the culture, a change in the war there, that there is going to be an end. Um, but as of right now, it, it doesn't look like it's going to be soon. And so we're really honored and blessed that God has picked us from the U.S. and put us there in those conflict zones to be with those people who we consider to be brothers and sisters in Christ. And when we're hiding, like Sammy said, when we're in the trenches, when the airplanes are overhead, we look left and right, and it's women and children. And to me, I just feel my brothers and my sisters are left and right, and so how could we leave them? And, um, yeah, so I'll close with that. I kept it at 12. Is that what you guys normally do? I can keep going. There's so many stories, but um, yeah, we'd love to chat or talk. If you ever want to contact us 
uh, you can contact us through our website. That The email on there goes right to us, and we respond to it really quickly because we don't get a ton of emails. So um, reach out to us if you have any questions or if you want to know how you can pray. First thing, pray for the Burma Army to change their hearts, and then just pray that God would continue to um, show his love to those people and to, to protect those people in times of need, in times of conflict, uh, as they're suffering. Do you have anything else you want to say? Mark, do you have anything you want to uh, say? Okay, here you go. Round two. Thank you, Blake and Sammy. Give them a hand. And uh